Okay, we, Emir Tzah Hashem, begin this morning our study of Divrei Hayomim, in English, Chronicles of Days. And Divrei Hayomim is the last Sefer in Tanakh. It is by far the longest Sefer in Tanakh, and as we alluded to yesterday, it is one of the most confusing obscure, certainly neglected svarim in all Tanakh. As we're going to see, it starts with nine prakim of just names, a genealogical table going from Adam HaRishon to David HaMelech without comment, just a list of names. And there are other lists of names there. And of course, the Sefer itself is based on Shmuel and Malachim. In some points, it takes whole stories verbatim. In some, it contradicts them. In some, it omits them. And so this has caused great consternation and confusion. If you're going to state it verbatim, why are you stating it verbatim? What are you coming to bring that's new? Or to the, why repeat them? If you're contradicting them, why are you contradicting them? And it does not often give reasons. And if you're going to omit them, why omissions? So over the years, it has gotten just a, a reputation for being inaccessible. Um, let's start with the Abarbanel. The Abarbanel, of course, was one of our greatest mafarshim in medieval Spain in the 15th century. And he wrote a hakdama to Sefer Shmuel. And in the Sefer, in the hakdama, he asked the question. He says, I've asked, why is this book, Divrei Hayamim, in Tanakh? What is it doing here? And surprisingly, and to his consternation, nobody answered him. He couldn't get an answer. And you're talking about medieval Spain, where the Mepharshim were just probably the most brilliant ever, could not answer what it's doing here. And even more shockingly, he said that until he started researching his Hakdama for Shmuel and Divrei Hayamim, he had never read Divrei Hayamim. The Barbanel had never picked up the Sefer Divrei Hayamim. Interestingly enough, after a brief revival, it fell into neglect again, where certain Mephoshians say it really became uh, a subject of interest in the 20th century. So why is it so obscure? Why is it so neglected? And we start with, with what they omit, because it's very strange at first, the omissions. For example, Shmuel and Malachim have divided equally 50-50% with Malchus Yisrael, the, ultimately the 10 tribes that went into Golas, and Malchus Yehuda. It's divided up the stories and the narratives. Divrei Hayamim has zero on Malchus Yisrael. 100% is consumed with Malchus Yehuda completely ignores Malchai Yisrael. Malachim has eight separate chapters mentioning Batsheva, 
the woman that David marries. She is responsible even for Shlomo. She's Shlomo's mother. She's responsible for his taking over the throne. No mention of Bathsheba at all. No mention of Uriah Hachiti, who was her husband that he sent to a knowing death into war. No mention of a confrontation with Nasan Hanavi, accusing him of, of sinning. No mention of the rest of his life devoted to um, repenting, to tshuva for the sin of Bathsheba. Nothing, absolutely nothing. In addition, no mention of the rebellions of Adoniyahu, no mention of the terrible story of Amnon Vitama, of Absalom, his uh, succession difficulties, even his ascension to the throne is not mentioned. It's smooth, it's tranquil. There isn't a wave, there isn't a blip. Um, similarly, Shlomo in Malachim has the eight different references to what was the downfall of Shlomo HaMelech and ultimately play, uh, the seeds of destruction of the Bayes Rishon and the Golas. Basparo, he marries Basparo, who leads him into a life of Avodah Zorah. And the only mention of her in Divrei Hayamim is where he builds her her own house outside of the precincts of the palace and the temple. In other words, he gives her a separate residence, but no mention of the Avodah Zorah. And if you think the, the Gemara tells us that the bias Rishon was destroyed for three things, Shrikas Domim, spilling of blood, Avodah Zorah, and Gilu Arroyos, and between Shlomo and David, if you want to be brutally honest, at one point or another, they committed all three, nothing. No mention of any of this. Um, and the question again, why? In Jivrei Hayamim, uh, it is eight chapters. Eight chapters are devoted to David's meticulous, detailed approach to building the Bias Rishon and its administration when it would be built. Eight chapters on every single detail. No detail was too small. And yet, in Malachim, he asked permission to build the Bayes Rishon, is rejected by the Kaddish Baruch Hu without a reason, and told that, no, your son Shlomo. Why the eight-chapter fixation on David's mastery of every detail of the Beis Hamikdash? Then you have... Um, Menashe. Menashe was the most evil king perhaps in history, not just Jewish history. He was brutal, he was a killer. In Avodah Zorah, he took Avodah Zorah and put it on the altar. He was a bloody, vicious, killing tyrant. In Divrei Hayamim, he is a prototypical model of tshuva, who eventually the Kaddish Baruch Hu brings under his wing. So, what is this all about? And these are just some of the omissions. So you have to approach it as a Mephorshim do, from that even though Sefer Jivrei Hayomin is Nevoah, ultimately it's a book of Nevoah, 
it has relevance to today or it wouldn't be included. And the, we should mention the author is Ezra and the Anshe Knesset Hagdola. They would not have even included it. So the question is, why these omissions? Who are the target audience? You have to start from there. Who is it that they are speaking to? And the problem, of course, and the Abarbanel delineates it, the problem with Divrei Hayamim is that why, when you have, if you're repeating something verbatim, you're really supplementing something that is there. So when you're a supplement, automatically it's like not as good as the original, so people regarded it as merely a supplement. When it contradicts something and doesn't explain why, people don't understand that either. The reason here that we posit is that Ezra and Anshe Knesset Padola had an agenda, a single-minded agenda, and you have to look within the context of the times. B'nai Israel was a beaten, depressed, um, downtrodden people. They had been exiled from their land, their temple destroyed. They are convinced that the Kaddish Baruch Hu has abandoned them. And so in response, they abandon the Kaddish Baruch Hu. They give up the Torah, they give up everything. And so Ezra wants these people back in Yerushalayim, building the Bayez Shani. He has got to get them from point A to point B. And he does that by invoking the David and Solomon era in Malachim as the most beautiful, pristine, grander period in our history, which it may have been, and getting them thinking again of a return to their old glory. And so that is why so many of the faults and the warts are omitted. And you can't say, say them before, you can't say this is revisionism or this is a whitewash because you have the basic text of Malachim and of Shmuel there and there it, it states what's there. So it's not a whitewash as such, but what it does is paint a portrait of total tranquility. There's no problem in the ascension to the throne as there was with David. There is no problem with the succession by Shlomo. There is no problem with revolts with sons like Adoniyahu and like um, Absalom. And there is no problems with Shlomo and there's no Basparo and there's no Batsheva. Everything is smooth, tranquil, and glorious. And so, it, again, it is no accident that in choosing the leaders, Ezra doesn't choose himself, who would be the most logical leader. He chooses Zubavel. Then at that time, the only living descendant of Malchus David as to head the group, that you're being headed by Malchus David. It's a return to the Malchus of David. And the Kohen is um, Hoshia ben Yehotzadah whose father was the last Kohen Gadol of Bayes Rishon. It is an absolute seamless return to glory. As for the fact that they feel the Kodesh Baruch who has abandoned them, nonsense. Look at Menashe. 
Menashe was the most evil man in history, and yet he did tshuva. And the Kaddish Baruch who loved his tshuva and took him back. You are not without hope. And so for that is what Ezra is trying to accomplish. And in doing so, it's presented again, and we have to emphasize this, not as a whitewash, not as revisionism, as just giving them a view of a taste of the glory, the grandeur that was Yerushalayim in the days of David and Shlomo. That's why he spent so much time on the base on Mikdash, when in reality he was rejected to build it. And so with that, it explains what Divrei Hayomim is trying to do. Those chapters, which we will begin, Mitzvah tomorrow, nine chapters of genealogy is deliberately <coughs> designed to go from Adam Harishon to David. It all ends with David Malchus. And that is the hope that it will stimulate B'nai Israel to A, do the requisite tshuva, B, to begin the return to build that bias Shani with all the things in place to evoke, to recreate, to replicate the glory days of David and Shlomo. Amir Hashem, we will begin tomorrow morning at 8.45 with these genealogical tables that, believe it or not, have a very distinct purpose and in their own manner are very interesting. So Amir Hashem, 8.45 a.m. tomorrow, you will not want to miss it. Be there. Ad Khan.